Hi, this is Angelina Yelm, and welcome to the Probiotic Life. This podcast is where we explore the intricate relationships between human health, soil health, and ecological systems. Join me now for another exploratory conversation on the probiotic life. Welcome, welcome once again to The Probiotic Life. I'm your host, Ben Klenner. Today on the show, we are talking to Angelina Yelm of angelinanaturalis.com. And I first saw uh, what she was up to on Instagram and was inspired. She has done studies in alpine botany, in horticulture and permaculture. Uh, She takes people on wild plant walks. She does garden consultations and garden design. And she also lectures on horticulture and herbs, as well as being a green chef and a wild forager. So there's all these cool pictures of her um, out in nature, teaching people, doing tours with people on her Instagram. And that's what really inspired me uh, to reach out to her. So this is her first English interview. I saw that she did an interview. Um, so she's in Sweden and um, I saw her, one of her interviews or I, I saw of her one of her interviews and I thought, hey, cool. All right, let's, uh, let's get someone who's uh, a herbalist, who's uh, connected to nature in that way, um, but does know the science as well. So in this episode, Angelina shares a bit of her story um, and we get into a great discussion about connecting to nature, about wild foraging, uh, about herbs. And she shares with us some really cool um, how-to, some how-to on some of her favorite ferments. So stay tuned to that. But before we get started, I want to say thank you to all of you who are listening to this today. Uh, Thanks for investing your time in this podcast because I know that your time is valuable to you. Um, And you are welcome to financially support us um, at patreon.com slash probiotic life. Now I wanted to point out that the last episode and this episode um, in my mind, I've did a bit of a rush job in editing. Uh, you may or may not hear that. I am an audiophile. Um, but this is because I've uh, taken up uh, some work as well. So now I have a little bit less time, actually a lot less time to work on the podcast. I'm still going to be producing them regularly, uh, but I'm not going to be doing it on a weekly basis anymore. Uh, my priority is to provide for my family and to um, actually have some time to spend with my family. So um, I've taken up a position at Perth City Farm to develop the soil center there. So I get to flip compost and uh, teach people about soil. Um, don't fear the show will go on, but for the next six months, it's going to be 
uh, at least fortnightly. So I wanted to give you the heads up and I wanted you to be uh, included in what's happening with the probiotic life. So thanks for everybody who's been uh, reaching out and connecting. Thanks for being part of this uh, journey. And now I'm excited to share with you this interview with Angelina. Today on the podcast, we are talking to Angelina Yelm. Welcome to the show, Angelina. Thank you so much. Feels like a, an honor to be amongst soul scientists and mycologists, and for me, other real heroes on this planet. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, I, I saw uh, some of your pictures on Instagram and because I'm usually on there rather than Facebook or anywhere else. Um, and I really liked what you were doing, Angelina, um, bringing the whole uh, permaculture and food and uh, just connecting to Earth. So I'd love to um, hear a bit about what you do and sort of how you came to that point. So do you, do you want to um, share with us a little bit, paint a picture of uh, what was it like growing up for you? Where, where did you start off? What sort of got you on this path of wanting to connect um, with nature? Right. So um, I've studied and worked uh, professionally with plants for the last 13 years now. And uh, started out at the age of 19 with alpine botany and uh, what I did after that is a lot of um, botany, it's gardening, designing at the university and organic gardening. Um, and I also worked up at the northernmost uh, Arctic Alpine Botanic Garden in the world, which is in Troms in northern, northern Norway. Um, and, well, sort of how it started out, that's just so many threads in that web. Uh, and it sort of, for me, boils down to... Uh, the ability of being amazed, I would say, because as long as I can remember having very early memories, I can recall this strong sense of uh, belonging with certainty in this body and on this planet. And, you know, my mom barely made it to the hospital before I was born. I was very eager to get here. Uh, and this sense of belonging in the natural world has been a source of inspiration all my life. And with it also came a curiosity and a fascination for almost everything. So naturally, I was drawn to hang out with my surrounding and I was uh, very influenced by nature. It's simplicity, it's uh, raw transparency, feeling fascinated and baffled how it all worked and how it all worked together. Um, I also love to hang out with flowers since... Uh, a flower never doubt its existence. You know, you have, have you ever seen a flower like excuse itself? Like no. it just stands there. <laughs> like, no, it stands there, right? Like relentlessly and shameless and for us to just bathe in this beauty. And um, I think we have a couple of things to learn from there. And the more I've learned about this interplay of plants and soil and water and microorganisms and all the rest, uh, the more it just fills me with wonder. Um, and I also think I have a very strong trust early on and still have uh, that, the, that this planet knows what it's doing with its, you know, I didn't know that back then, but today I know we have a, an idea of the plant as 
4.5 billion years, I think, of experience and 510 millions of square kilometers of green areas. Mm. You know, that's so many functional systems for us to learn from. And I find it pretty cool to be alive on this tiny bubble in an ocean of stars. You know, this is everyday magic has sort of been the source of this inspiration always. Um, Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting to to hear the way that you talk. Um, I really like. It. It's very poetic. It's it does. Uh, in it's it's like awe inspiring the way that you that you talk about um, nature around mm-hmm. us. But but I, maybe I should just step back a bit. I didn't actually ask you where where are you and and where, where what is your your nature look like around you at the moment. Yeah. Actually, I'm in uh, where Sweden began. <laughs> this is the uh, oldest uh, uh, living place in Sweden that we know of. It's called Sigtuna. And this is not up in the, at the Arctic. I, I lived most of my life in the north part of Sweden. But now I am very close to Stockholm, the capital. And it's called Sigtuna. And this place is just full of uh, runic stones. They're called runic stones in English, right? That's like the 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 uh, dru- like the druid stones, is it, or something? These are the big stones that the Vikings wrote their uh, messages on to show where their country was and what rules they had. And you know, this is Magnus Land, so he wrote the big stone with uh, a snake and those um, Nordic carvings oh, are wow. an old language, the Viking language. And this actually, this little town I'm in is more than a thousand years old and some of the buildings are still left and some of the stones there are 21 of those old stones here and i think there are yeah that's the most in the entire world actually of those so that's where i am and it's uh at the big lake it's a lot of beautiful leafy trees and uh some hiking trails around it's a small town and i'm just passing through i was in stockholm for my physiochemistry education so Wow. Okay. So, but that's that's not where you live. That's just where you're staying at the moment. Exactly. Yeah. I had a farm up at the close to the Arctic Circle, just below it. It's called Lilpita uh, for about five years, and uh, was loving the challenge up there to create with what you have at hands because the plant materials is a little bit more limited up there. But I saw that this autumn actually. Um, and now I moved to southern Sweden. All this springtime, I've been uh, in the most southern tip. So I really moved from one extreme to the other and worked there to guide uh, people into to the wild to learn oh, about plants. Okay. So so can you explain to us a little bit about what, what you do? I saw a bit about on your website that you, you're uh, mm. into the food side of it and into um, exploration with people. Share with us, what does that look like for you? Well, should I share a little bit of my background, like what I studied and did, so you understand what I'm into? Or um, I mentioned this, uh, I I started out when I was 19 um, with alpine botany up in the Scandinavian mountains. And uh, then I also went down a little bit to southern Sweden to study a three-year bachelor program in organic gardening and design, which is quite unique. Um, and again, did my practice up in the north. 
And I also certified in permaculture later on with uh, Richard Perkins, who has the Rigidale permaculture in Sweden. And I also traveled to Australia uh, visiting Joe Lawton's Cytuna farm. I don't know if you've been there. Oh, no, I haven't been there yet, but um, we're trying to get uh, Jeff on the show. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, yeah, and since 2016, I run my own business, Angelina Naturalis, uh, where I specialized not so much in gardening, but in edible and medicinal wild plants and also herbal therapy. And then to some extent, uh, plant-based wild foods and, and other green foods. Yeah. Mm, okay. So, yeah, I saw some of the, the – you, you actually – looks like you you love to cook and you actually – uh, are, a, are a chef as well. Is that right? You do a bit of food preparation? Yeah, I work with that in my business as well, yeah. But I'm leaning more towards the uh, wild plants as uh, medicine. But also the food is, of course, an interesting part because when I bring people out in nature, um, my biggest wish for them is to find different ways to implement those plants into their daily lives. Mm. So that can be, you know, if they have a, uh, problems with their liver or digestive system, they can find plants to use for that, which is very mild and beautiful. And I love working with plants because um, instead of, you know, in, mo- in modern medicine, we isolate different substances. They're very potent and sometimes we need that potency, but very often it's a little bit too strong on the body. And when using plants, which have maybe a hundred of active components working in a beautiful symbiosis, you have a much more milder effect in the body. It's a more long-term solution. And Mm. the slowness of it is part of the medicine and the beauty of it because so many of our diseases are stress-related too. Very interesting. Mm. So inspiring people to use those plants as medicine uh, in different ways and also just... You know, the fact that we literally walk around on a buffet of edible medicinal plants, um, for me, it's pretty astonishing just walking out the door and you can eat more or less all the plants we have around here in Sweden. I know it's a little bit different in Australia. You have (laughs) more poisonous plants uh, than we do, but um, you also have a lot of edible ones. I did a herbal walk when I was in Australia with a Bushman and a foreigner there, mm, um, yeah. but here it just it's uh, it's so easy and it's so accessible. All those plants, um, and yeah, that's one of the reasons I do it. You know, wild plants are available. They're local, free food. It's fresh. It's beyond organic. They're per definition both food and medicine. Uh, very high in nutrients because they grow in their natural conditions or optimum growing habitats. Um, they have very low or no maintenance, of course, if you compare that to a annual kitchen garden, which is very high intensive gardening, you need a lot of maintenance. And they also have a very long harvest season. You know, you can go out in the winter to pick uh, buds from the trees and use that as fiber rich and uh, very strong flavor um, to add strong flavor to your food. Um, and it's a great complement, I believe, to anyone growing food or looking for interesting new flavors. And I also believe, you know, if we open up our eyes to those uh, so-called weeds and we uh, eat them instead of beat them, as there is an expression, I think, saying, yeah, we would yeah. probably save, you know, yeah, 
we would save ourselves quite an amount of, of negative consequences, I would say, and money and vitamin pills and a bunch of, you know, we get a lot of recreational moments as a bonus as well. Mm-hmm. And then, well, not to mention, since you're, you're, we're on the probiotic life podcast, um, the amount of bacteria and enzymes and microbes covering every leaf and flower everywhere, um, you know, getting your pro and prebiotic will be a no-brainer if you eat wild plants since it's already included in the wild food. Mm-hmm. Nature provides everything in the wild with the right amount of organisms and enzymes and bacteria to help us digest, absorb, and yeah, support our digestive systems and bodies. And mm-hmm. uh, it's interesting because in herbal medicine, like 30% of people today seeking advice from a herbal therapist have problem with the digestive tract and uh, often due to having a disturbed gut flora. So that's another great reason for it. Just go out there and pick some of those wild things. It's it's really interesting to to hear you talk about this. You know, it uh, it reminds me of uh, growing up in Canada and and I think I have a little bit more of a, a connection with what, what you're talking about, the, the, the uh, wilderness up there rather than in uh, Western Australia, even though it is very, have, uh, like it's one of the biodiverse hotspots of the world. But um, mm. up in Canada, or at least, um, you know, in Vancouver, it's very defined seasons and each season there's different uh, food available from from the wild and different things coming into season and um, it it mm. just it just sort of sparks uh, uh, memories for me when you, when you're talking about that. But I'd like to hear a bit more about w- what uh, moments actually defined your journey. Anything that sort of made an impact on you or anything that's really affected your life from uh, a revelation or something like that. Hmm. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> I think I could talk for hours about memories and moments in nature making an impact on me. Um, however, I can't recall like a direct aha experience that changed the way I lived, like due to lessons learned from nature. I feel my life due to this inspiration, it was uh, very directly influenced and inspired by nature. Um, but briefly, when I was like the earliest memory, when I was five, um, I decided to move out of my home and to move in with a birch tree and a stone. <laughs> just, uh, you know, I woke up one day and I just wanted to put some bread and some fruit in a little um, uh, cloth and I tied it to a stick. I probably saw that in a cartoon somewhere and I just threw it on my shoulder and I walked out the door. <laughs> to move into nature um and i walked for a long time and you know children don't really have i didn't have any uh idea of distances or time so i probably walked 100 meters from my home or something and i sat down with a huge tree a birch tree uh and a stone i just i just felt so much at home Mm. um you know having my lunch there and sharing it with the stone and the tree and just that again, like that sense of belonging is just so potent in my life. Mm. Um, I have several other examples when I'm seven and uh, when I'm a teenager and, and so forth. But um, like a more concrete maybe example of something that made, uh, like was an eye opener. It was um, when I was up in the mountains studying botany at the age of 19. And I had this wish to hang out with nature 
and to learn how we as human define the, the natural world that we're part of. Because I have many um, undefined experiences in nature, just being there and enjoying it. But I had questions of how was the plant kingdom on Earth classified and interrelated and what habitats did they grow in and why? And I was curious about their anatomy and the physiology of all those trees and plants around me. And um, me and my good friend Anna, who today is a scientist in microbiology, we crawled around on the ground with our loops and lenses, uh, zooming into this micro life of plants. Mm. And I was diving into another dimension of colors and the mesmerizing world of plants love life. Uh, and it's a fascinating world full of pollen and lovemaking stamens and pistils. And during those hikes, over the mountains with our class, we were sometimes hours after the others due to being glued to the ground in wonder. And I don't know if you know that from Canada, but alpine plants uh, is not like any other plants. It's, uh, you know, at this altitude, the plants are tiny mm -hmm. and they are forced to the ground by wind and sun and snow. And if you're not into them, you will just miss them. But if you see them, uh, and if you taste or smell them, you will notice that, for an example, at the bottom of the mountain or even further down uh, into the cultivated landscape, the flavors are mild. And as you go up towards the top, uh, the more intense they become in both colors and aromas. And, you know, we, I learned a lot about uh, how to read the landscape depending on what plants was there and how they tasted. And this was uh, one way to, a very smart way of nature, to provide plants and animals that lives in a harsher environment with necessary nutrition and medicine. Because when you have potent food, you, you need to eat less and uh, naturally there's less up at the top of the mountain. So I think this really gives meaning to that old uh, quote of Hippocrates, you know, let thy food be thy medicine and thy medicine thy food. Yeah, for sure. It, I, I I think of um, the the alpine strawberries. You know, climbing up a mountain right. and and picking the strawberries or the huckleberries. Um, oh, yeah. just the just the flavor that explodes so out of them. Yeah, that's amazing. And you know, just the difference between northern Sweden and southern Sweden. People from the north they don't want any strawberries from south because <laughs> oh, really? it's just watery compared to up there. And that's another cool fact that I read uh, about long long time ago. At the you know, depending on the latitude, up in Obisko where I studied, it was um, sixty eight uh, in latitude. Yeah. And I know you down at Perth, uh, you have like minus thirty one. Yeah, I don't know right. if that's degrees. Mm. Yeah, so 30, and, 32 and, uh, degrees pretty much, yep. 32, right. So up that high uh, at latitude, the sun has a lower angle, and mm. a lower angle seems to give more infrared sunlight, which in itself intensifies the production of antioxidants and flavonoids, um, sugars, aromas, etc. And oh, I think that's pretty cool because... Okay. Uh, yeah, when you grow food or when you have a garden up in the north, often you see the the colors and the flavors are much more intensified. And for me, that was one of the greatest bonuses of working up there. Yeah, okay. Well, this, this is very interesting because I know too, um, when we cultivate vegetables, um, obviously they've been bred to be the biggest um, 
So they're appealing to the eye, but they're not always as appealing to the taste right? because because they're f- basically full of water, especially when we start to do hydroponics and that sort of stuff. But um, there's, there's something to say about uh, some of the plants, some of my fruit trees, I'll just neglect them. And they have really small... Um, I, I still talk to them nicely. I don't, don't, but, but, um, Sweet of you. But, but, I, but I, I neglect them in terms of I don't um, give them much um, other fertilizer except for the leaves that fall on the pots there or anything. But they right. produce smaller fruits, but they're uh, more full of flavor. And when plants are stressed, they usually produce fruits, but they f- produce them smaller mm. just so that they can get the seeds out of them. But then there's more flavonoids um, and uh, all those um, vitamins, as you were referring to, that are available. uh, I wonder Mm. where the balance is there of how we produce stuff so that it actually uh, tastes good, uh, but that has the right right amount of vitamins in there. What, What do you think about that? Well, I don't think one uh, one is excluding the other. I think the combination of you know the the beauty and the benefit of cultivated plants, which gives like a higher um, amount of vegetables. Uh, it's more you know what you get when you put the seeds in the ground, more or less, because mm. it's uh, been you know uh, tried out before and it's more stable seeds. Um, you know, the, the, the vegetables are often bigger, they're more sugar, you can eat more of them, you can uh, store them for the autumn and the winter. I mean, there's so many benefits there that uh, I love having a garden, having those annuals or whatever it is, vegetables in there. But then um, I think it's important to bring in also the wild flora, uh, because we have forgotten those, especially like the bitter tastes of dandelions or uh, yarrow, whatever it might be. So uh, we moved a lot into the cultivated plants, which are uh, very sweet often. And we neglected a lot of those wild plants that has more of the medicinal properties. And I think that is one of the reasons why we have also, again, a lot of uh, problems in with our digestive system, because, for example, bitter substances are um, their function in the body is to stimulate the production of uh, en- enzymes and um, um, uh, gallbladder um, juices or uh, pancreas juices or all those uh, organs that works with digesting food and absorbing it. They are all stimulated by bitter herbs, and we lack them today in our, you know, in our cultivated vegetables, more or less. I don't know if that was exactly the answer to your your question, but I like to combine those different worlds, like the really wild flora with the strong medicinal uh, plants and also the more wilder, milder ones with uh, the, the annual vegetables, the big ones, the fast growing ones with the perennial vegetables, which can be both uh, uh, herbs, bushes, trees, etc. Mm, mm-hmm. I just think that's how nature does it. You know, it's a mixture of annuals, biennials, and perennials uh, in different uh, polycultures, like symbiotic systems where they uh, interact and support each other. So, yeah, that you know. Yeah, I like the combination. That it, it is a combination, yeah. and and it sounds like that's the way that you sort of um, you live your life too. Is a combination of you have this. Uh, scientific training and uh, it seems 
quite a lot of the time people take that scientific training and then they sort of just veer off into that world and um, sort of exclude anything else that that's right. that's sort of uh, n- well I guess not so rigid not so scientific not the scientific method but you've somehow combined mm. these two worlds or more more than one world right. <laughs> uh, how, how did you right. do, how did you do that or what do you how do you think about how do you connect all those together right that's a good question um it's uh you know I think when I was a kid I had a strong integrity all my like while growing up because I really trusted myself learning from nature and I felt more or less uh, also immune to negativity or a, I don't know a general doom and gloom worldview um, that I later realized many people suffered from and perhaps got inspired from but for me observing nature gave me an understanding of the world as very dynamic very resilient and capable. It was uh, definitely for me a world of possibilities. Mm. And it gave me also this sense of ease and trust, however things might appear. And, you know, feeling that you're part of something that you really, your mind can't really comprehend, you know, it, it makes me curious of how things are interrelated or what things, um, how things function. But, it also makes me very open to, uh, well, not knowing anything. Like one of my favorite quotes is, uh, uh, we are in space, no one knows why I love you. It's sort of also very inspiring to me. Mm. Um, you know, and I also have this, you know, even if, even if all humans and species would die out, like life would find other forms and there's a trust in there. And I don't mean to be provocative with that, but only to point out um, that it leaves us with a responsibility and care for the qualities of our lives. You know, knowing the possibilities because we can destroy, we can, we can, you know, we can also build and driven by inspiration, which for me is a natural resource and a natural capital we can find ways to thrive in relation to our environment. Uh, and we're doing that based on understanding, on knowledge for the benefit of life around us. Um, so can you explain to me a bit more about this trust? What, what is this trust that you talk of, of, of trust in um, life forms, mm-hmm. I guess? Yeah, well, as, as I said, um, having a trust in a planet who has billions of years of experience and so many amazing functional systems to learn from. And, you know, the more I learn, the more in wonder I get for how uh, intelligent and smart, the smartness that is inherited in absolutely everything I see around me. And the more I spend time in nature, the more that trust grows. Um, And the wish to also then meet our growing human needs or they might not be growing but our human needs with the understanding of um well what's uh, where we come from and what's um possible to do uh, mm. yeah it's uh, trust and inspiration would you say that the the trust in uh mother nature if you will means that you are able to let go of the things that you can't control? 
Well, when necessary, perhaps, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's a curiosity, I think, also that comes with it. If you if you 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 strive to understand things, but you never know for sure. So there's a trust there, but it's also an openness, a dynamic uh, sort of relationship to it. Mm. I'm I'm really fascinated by this conversation right now, Angelina, because um, you know we're, part of the probiotic life is how do we create life around us? And and we've talked to people who are microbiologists, uh, you know, in the soil and in the human microbiome. Uh, a lot of people uh, in uh, regenerative agriculture, but I like this flavor uh, uh, that you're bringing to this uh, this tapestry of the probiotic life. Of it, it's bigger. It's it's being able to see um, outside. It's like you're able to see multiple level, levels from the from the micro to to the macro. Well, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I think I am pretty broad overall. Like in the things I've been doing and my interest for plants, it doesn't. You know, it doesn't. It went all the way from the remote wild to growing things, to putting it on plates, to discussing it with my microbiologist friends on the cellular level. It's just everything of it fascinates me. And yeah, there is, yeah, I wish to understand and to learn, but also just to be in wonder, right? I love the combination of, as for example, when I have my herbal tours, I like to invite people both into the defined world of plant names and active ingredients and what it does in the body, how it's functioning in the ecosystem, etc., with the undefined experience of just being in nature beyond names and whatever concepts we put on nature. I think those two are the the two wonders and marvels uh, in in my life. And I love to attend to both of them. Mm. So moving forward in, in your life and, and what you're doing, what future do you see uh, for yourself and for humanity? Uh, <laughs> that's a big question. I, th- I, think, I, um, I think this uh, episode is full of big questions. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of philosophical talk. Um, I Well, I look forward to when we have this base knowledge of the actual world in and around us, I would say, when we tend to our needs and health uh, while making sure we do not overload the natural systems that we totally depend upon, whether we like it or not. And um, yeah, I mean, instead of controlling and conquer, we have the possibility to collaborate. And Mm. I think otherwise... Uh, there is a tendency of ignorance that might be very destructive and well, no one really wants that, I'm sure. And I also have um, the next example of uh, the oldest classical book in, in Chinese medicine, which is not so much about the medicine, but about the relationship between human being and nature, which is, you know, it also implies your own nature, mm. where we constantly adjust to our surroundings and thriving for optimum function and equilibrium, etc. And uh, that as a basis in our life is also for me very inspiring, both in the food we, we grow and how we take care of ourselves, our health, 
uh, etc. So, so this is a, a Chinese text, is it? Yeah, it's the oldest classical book in Chinese medicine, which is not yeah, it's not about medicine. It's about the relationship, which is pretty cool. What, what's it? What's it called? Or does it have a English name? I don't know the English name. Um, if you if you search for the oldest oldest classical book in Chinese medicine, you'll find it. I'm not. I haven't studied Chinese medicine or Ayurveda, so I don't dare to go into that huge <laughs> field. Mm. Um, but um, also in, in I mean in Europe, if you travel to Poland or Ukraine or especially Russia, there is an unbroken line of holistic herbal medicine. Uh, it's a natural part of everyday life, although they have a Western uh, medicine as well. But it's it's still there, and uh, it gives another connection to our surroundings because. Just compare that to when you go out and you forage, uh, you pick wild things, or you grow your own food in the garden, and you get this connection and understanding of where it comes from and what is what you need to put in there to get something back. And so there is this exchange, mm. uh, healthy exchange. Uh, and then you go into a store and you pick something that is wrapped in plastic and it's food, and it's very difficult to have a relationship to that. Uh, it's very easy to be ignorant to all the chains chains of event that led up to you holding this thing in your hand. So, this base knowledge that I that I mentioned, I think, is uh, a more direct connection to where our food comes from, which sounds very essential, but you know, still, it's um, it's not always as uh, simple <laughs> as we have seen. In many ways. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think a com- common theme of uh, the probiotic life is that uh, everything is all connected and we're inextricably connected. Uh, we cannot right. be <laughs> we cannot be apart from uh, the world around us, from the people in our lives, uh, from from humanity in general. We we actually cannot be apart. Um, and when we start to think that way of separating ourselves, then that's when we get into problems. Or when we think that um, nature is a resource to be used rather than uh, that right. we're part of it to be to um, to work with, yeah. to share our resources with. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and it's so much more fun too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm actually interested in in the the herbalism uh, side of what you're mm. doing, and I saw um, that you're making some kombucha or some jun with uh, <laughs> with different herbs in it. Um, yeah. What, what do you What do you do with that? How What are you doing with your kombucha, and what sort of other um, herbalistic <laughs> herbalism All right. projects that you're doing? <laughs> herbalistic stuff. Uh, well. Um, yeah, I am a little bit into fermenting things, uh, because I find, uh, well, I really much like the flavors of it and, you know, how I feel in my body when I eat it. And, uh, it's just change, uh, the flavors and the consistency of so many, you know, normal leaves that I otherwise just eat in a smoothie or in salad and et cetera. So yeah, I put it out a video on my Instagram making this jun culture, which is uh, something I've been looking for for a long time, having a bacteria that uh, eats honey instead of going on sugar. 
because I prefer to use honey. Um, and uh, well, I just make different herbal brews. When I make the John culture, for example, I'm, I'm doing it mostly for the flavors. Um, you can also go into making more medicinal teas that is uh, then fermented by the John to making it more active. You can make, for example, a meadow sweet tea, which is uh, a natural um, um, painkiller in nature. That's actually where the whole, um, well, where one of the, the modern makings of medicine started. And that's not so long ago, like 1800 in France, they took this meadow sweet into laboratory to isolate uh, spiric, spiric acid, which is a salicin-like substance mm. that brings down uh, a pain in the body. So you can use this as a tea for a headache, for example, or if you have um, cramps in your belly. So to make it uh, a, a brew with that and then add the jun to it, so it continues to ferment and to continues to develop the flavors, uh, it's... It's a really nice medicine to drink. <laughs> it's easy to take, way much more than you than you ever need. So yeah, the jans are interesting to to make. Otherwise, I like to just ferment uh, uh, flowers and leaves into different teas because we have a big culture of of bringing in black tea, for example, when we have so much available in our natural flora to create very. Uh, uh, similar flavors as to the black tea, and I, I would say much greater flavors. Um, and I don't know if you're into fermenting uh, leaves for making tea. Have you done that before? Uh, no. So you mean uh, the same process as uh, the way that they process uh, Camellia sinensis for black tea? Yes. Uh, there are different ways of doing it. I'm, um, but so so I can tell you a little bit how I do it. Yeah, sh share with us about how, how do you actually ferment tea? Because when I think of fermenting, I think of um, either like a salt brine or, uh, you know, kombucha style ferment. Mm, right. Okay, so this is a little bit different and it's amazing. You're going to love the, the flavors uh, when you open those jars after fermenting them like this. It's a whole other dimension of flavors. Mm. <laughs> so if you're into this, I think you'll like it. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I for a couple of weeks ago, we had beautiful apple blossom from the apple trees. So what I did, you can take any flower, any leaves. It's just experiment away with this because, um, yeah. <laughs> so what I did, I took a, a jar, a glass jar with a, with a lid and I picked all those flowers from the apple trees, also a few green leaves, but mainly from the flowers, the petals. And I put them in a jar and I actually did three jars just to, uh, make three different kinds of the same fermentation just to see if there was any varieties. So one of the jars I actually put in the oven at 40 degrees Celsius for four hours. And the heat, you can put just in any warm place, but it needs to be quite warm. The heat makes all these plants start to sweat. And it's a fast fermentation. And mm. after four hours in the jar, you have the lid on and then you just leave them overnight. And then in the morning, when you open the lid, it's well, it's just like 
I don't know, a bouquet of flowers. It's so intense mm. and the flavors change a lot. And then you take those plants out and you put them on a drying sheet and you just dry them until they're crisp and you have a, a darker, often a black-like tea. Um, oh, so that's one so, way of doing So it, it is actually, it, it makes them sweat and then the microbes start to ferment it and then you dry them out. Right. Exactly, yeah. Okay. And it's well preserved when you have them in that glass jar because other ways of doing this, you can pick the leaves or, um, or the flowers and you can put them in water and you let them sit in a bucket of water, like you fill up the bucket with plants and you, you soak it in water so it covers and then you put a cloth or something on top and then you let that sit for about three days. Um, and when you're doing that, you take out the plants and... Um, Let's see what this plant is in. Uh, yeah, the willow herb. You know this one? don't know if you have it yeah, in Yeah, like a uh, weeping willow where they, where they get uh, salicylic acid from. Uh, no, that's a tree. So there's a herb called willow herb. Oh, okay. No, um, I don't know. All right. Uh, anyways, this plant, you can take any plant, but this plant, when you put it in water, let it sit for three days and you drink the water, it tastes like... Um, like melon, like sweet melon, which is an amazing flavor. So that's just, um, it's called Epilubium angustifolium in Latin, so you can check out the English name. Great, Uh, okay. Epilubium. Um, And then you do the same, you take the plants and you dry it until it's very crisp and it becomes really dark. And this is probably the most black tea-like plant that I've ever tried. And it's actually called Ivan Shai or Russian Shai because it would use, it was produced here in Scandinavian countries and exported to China and other countries as black tea. <laughs> and it was sold like that oh, wow. because it's so similar. So that's pretty cool. Um, and then you also get that fermented juice, like just the water from the plant, which is uh, really cool. And so, when when you're drying them, you you don't want to you don't want to sun dry them. You want to dry them in the shade, is it? Uh, yes, I usually dry them in the shade to protect them from sunlight, mm. uh, especially after they ferment it. So I dry them often indoors on mosquito net or something up in the roof where it's a little bit warmer and, and dry. Right. I will. I'm definitely going to be trying that. I think you should. Yeah, it's so awesome. Um, other things I love to do is put like uh, sp- um, spruce shoots. Do you call them like that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the spruce shoots. Uh, I don't. I'm not sure if we have spruce here, but we have uh, juniper. Right. Yeah, yeah. You can do it with juniper too. Uh, putting those and uh, uh, also dandelion buds in like salt water for three days. Okay. And that also creates a really nice little um, flavored dish you can have at the side of whatever you want to serve. And um, so not drying those ones out, it's just uh, like a sort of like no. a lacto-ferment. Yeah, it's like, a, you know, capers in vinegar, but oh, in salt nice. water instead, oh, wow. <laughs> something okay, like cool. that. Uh, and the dandelion, I just want to mention, since we talk about herbs so much, uh, you have dandelion, mm-hmm. right, in Australia? Yep. Yeah, it's all over the planet. And uh, this is one of the plants I love the most because it has so many varieties of uses. And I was in, uh, I lived in Italy for a year in Damanhur, uh, a community there. Mm. And they have a dandelion festival. And I was so happy when I got down there because I always love this plant and this flower. But up where I come from, people really don't like it. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a weed. It follows 
follows our step wherever it goes mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's, uh, yeah, it has its reasons for that. Um, but as plant uh, and as food, uh, you probably heard you can just dig up the roots and you can dry them, clean them and chop them up and roast them. Mm, yeah. And make like a coffee-like brew. You have dandelion coffee thing, mm-hmm. right? And then uh, leaves, everyone knows what to do with them, like pesto and salad. But the stems, the flower stems of the dandelion, that's like wild spaghetti. Oh, right. And, uh, okay. Yeah. So I think, <laughs> you know, sometimes there are huge fields of dandelion and you can pick like your arm full of them and uh, you can... Boil them in water and some some uh, salt, a little bit of oil, and then you have your noodles. You just boil them for like five. Oh, six so it'd be like um, zucchini noodles, similar to that. Uh, one. Yeah, exactly, similar oh. to that one because it's more dense. And you know, some are some are very sensitive to bitter. Depends on where you pick them and how they've been growing, etc. How mild or strong they are. But uh, if you put them in salt water two hours before that, before boiling them, they are almost not bitter at all. Although we do want some of that bitter, but it might take over for some. Yeah, and then the flower buds, which is amazing to just fry in garlic and olive oil and salt. Uh, it's one of my favorite dishes, actually. And the flowers also, when they come out and start blooming, it's just so sweet and nectar and full of nectar and uh, yeah, full of pollen. So often I advocate to eat wild flowers to get pollen instead of uh, taking them from the bees mm, <laughs> or doing both. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I've actually tried in uh, – what I love about kombucha is the fact that uh, there's all these subtle flavors that come out of the plant that I can't seem to um, extract any other way except for in the kombucha. And so in um, right. uh, it, with the, all the eucalyptus trees over here, uh, you can uh, – there's enough uh, nectar in them that you can actually pull off the petals and, and sip out the nectar um, and you just get this amazing oh. – flavor but uh, i would put those in in the kombucha and you get amazing flavors of kombucha and the same same i do that with um kombucha with um things like thai basil uh, lemon verbena uh, what else do i do mm. uh, heliochrysum all these like flavors that just come out that mm. that just get destroyed with heat or anything else but the, right. that fermentation just just brings them out and i'm sure there must be good good uh, properties to those ones. Yeah, surely, yeah. <laughs> wow, that sounds really awesome. But I, I was actually mm. just thinking when you're talking about da- dandelions, I was thinking I think probably dandelions don't like me very much because I remember <laughs> in, in Canada having like fields of dandelions and when they all, um, you know, go into the puffballs and lighting them on fire and they're like the whole field would go up in fire. <laughs> Wow! Just you right. know, just flaming them all. So um, I'm probably they probably don't like me very much. Right, but do you have them spread widely around your garden, and do you use them like for food? And uh, no, not not here in um, where I am now. M- mostly because we're uh, renting a place, and we're actually just moving into another place. And so my garden is in my pots. So I don't think my um, Okay. Landlords would be very happy if I spread dandelions everywhere. <laughs> right? Yeah, not everyone sees the awesomeness with those plants. Mm. You know, in France, they cultivate dandelions as a gourmet vegetables, and they sell them really expensive on the markets. And 
here in Sweden, we go and buy rucola in the store for like 800 kroner per kilo. That's like 80 euro per kilo. So it's quite ridiculous when is you have a tendency. Is that for the, the whole to... plant or is it the, the roots or? It, they sell the leaves mainly. Oh, wow. Leaves and stalks. Yeah. Oh, you mean the rucola or the, the dandelion? Dandelions. Yeah, they sell, they sell the leaves and uh, the flower stalks, but mainly the leaves. It, you know, because it's rucola, rucola take flavors similar yeah, to that bitter yeah. plant. So it's, yeah, <laughs> if we could um, understand and feel inspired how to use those weeds that grows everywhere, I think we would definitely save ourselves some consequences. And yeah. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. And there are many plants that also grows wild, you know, that's, that's sold on the market for yeah, quite expensively. Also, nettles are getting out into the gourmet shops now in Sweden for 20 euro for 100 grams, etc. So, this foraging culture where master chefs brings their botanists out and bringing in wild flavors and and plants into the kitchen is uh, sort of becoming culture here, which is great. Mm, mm-hmm. how, how do you um, sell nettles? How how do they just like in bunches <laughs> yeah. or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, actually, plastic bags, just chopped up leaves and stems in a bag. So Very interesting. That's I, how it's sold. I was just at Perth City Farm today where I'm going to be um, starting a uh, uh, project there. And in the composting area, it's just all this compost that is spread out. And there's like probably thousands of little nettle seedlings everywhere. And I'm wondering, what should I do with these all? <laughs> right. Well, it's great food. <laughs> mm-hmm. More nutrition dense than most things you'll find, so it's great. So I'm in, interested, Angelina. Where, where, um, what are you studying right now? What are you learning right now? What's what's mm, new and exciting um, for you? Right at the moment, uh, I'm studying uh, private education in phytochemistry, which is uh, plant chemistry, or a uh, more common name for it is herbal therapy here in Stockholm. Mm. under uh, a very experienced and well-known herbalist in Sweden, uh, Marie-Louise Eklöf. Um, so that's what I'm doing at the moment and also continuing with my herbal tour. I usually do a herbal tour from the south to the north um, of Scandinavia. And so you take you take people on, on a journey through uh, Sweden, is it? Yeah, well... Uh, I'm I'm visiting. I'm going through a journey in Sweden, oh, okay. and then the people come to these specific places where I'm at, and yeah, then I'm inviting them into the woods, and they can taste and feel and come in touch with all these plants. That's fascinating. That sounds like so much fun. It is great. Yeah, and a few weeks ago now, I had a, over a hundred people on one herbal tour, uh, like on one walk for mm. two and a half hours. Uh, which is amazing because people really seem to long for useful and practical knowledge and connection to this richness, you know, and the use of plants in everyday life since it's been an important part for us in generation. And it's something we know that that works, you know, both medicinal and food-wise. Um, last uh, autumn, I think is worth to, worth to mention, uh, I was working on this project Um down also in South Sweden, where uh, we brought 800 uh, children and their teachers out into the forest during this uh, theatrical project. It was like a theatrical journey 
where they had the opportunity to connect with soil, uh, endangered species, uh, understanding this life-giving process of death and decay, giving birth to life anew, and through microorganisms and worms and fungi and seeds and so on. Um, and they were, you know, putting those pieces in the puzzle together, which uh, it's just so cool to see. It, it, it's uh, um, for me, it's it's the best uh, salary, whatever, however you, ex you express that. It just gives me so much back for what I'm doing when I see how this is uh, just embraced, especially by children. Uh, mm. So, so you you get a lot of. Um energy from seeing people uh, really engaging and connecting. Totally, yeah. Mm. I think it's awesome, yeah. <laughs> Very inspiring. You know, the kids run around then and pick everything and they're going home to share that with their parents who probably said that this is poisonous. And, <laughs> mm. and with this knowledge that grows in kids or in grown-ups or whomever, it's uh, like a a dignity and care seems to follow like naturally, um, mm. which I don't know. It's one of my experience of giving those herbal tours also that when that happens, it increases our likelihood to interact with life in a healthy way because we understand it better. Mm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. That, that's that been uh, my experience and, and, a ho and my hope that sharing this sort of, uh, information on the podcast will help people to connect in whatever way, whether it's just a windowsill garden um, or trying right. some of the Korean natural farming that I talk about or, um, yeah, getting out into doing some wild foraging. Actually, mm. it's, it's about the foraging, but it's also about absorbing everything around you, every part of the element around you. And that's what I hear what you're talking about and, and, what I get inspired about, and I hope that I'm inspiring other people to do the same. Mm, yeah. Mm, it's great that we're, um, you know, it's so many people in different fields, soil or gardening or farming or herbalism that works so sort of thriving towards the same aims. Um, I read you at the Probiotic Life, you aim to educate and reconnect people to nature and the environment um, for the benefit of all life. And it's just so nice to see that there's more and more people feeling inspired to do this kind of work. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, what would you like to, uh, leave with people in terms of your, your view or your philosophy on the probiotic life? Hmm. I like what you just said, like, you know, from the smallest, engagement or interest in um, supporting maybe a healthier relationship to life than, than the current situation that most of us are in. Um, I encourage that, however it might appear or express. It doesn't have to be plants. You know, we can also just support people who are into this. Um, so, yeah, in any way we can work with this in our lives. I don't really know what to say that at that question. <laughs> <laughs> it, it actually, I, it, I was just thinking of one thing you're talking about when with your friend uh, on the alpine slopes of, of 
just right. getting down and, and seeing the the delicate plants of the of the alpine slopes. And I, I remember, and I do this with my son. You know, my son's four years old. We'll just get down on the ground. Oh, what can you see? Like, look in between the blades of the grass. What can you see? And yeah. it's like a whole different world down there. Yeah, it is. So totally just getting out there. However, that might happen, you know, a herbal walk or foraging or just spending time in nature and, you know, spending time with things that grows. It naturally sort of creates a good bond and understanding, I think. But I also think effort is needed. You know, there is a, um, yeah, we need to engage somehow with our curiosity. But that's what it takes more than, you know, this is not a hard thing to get out there and learn about plants and medicine and food. You don't need to be biologists and or botanists to understand plants. I think we need curiosity mainly. And this, what you just mentioned now, like a willingness to be amazed. Um, mm-hmm. So Angelina, um, any, uh, any people who've really inspired you, um, and sh- share a bit about them and and what you're doing as well. Well, um, you can find out what I'm doing during you know on my Instagram Angelina Naturalis or my webpage AngelinaNaturalis.com. Also, I'm on Facebook with the same name. Um, but the people who inspired me, I, I mentioned before that I did an intensive permaculture design course with Richard Perkins, which is founder of Original Permaculture, together with uh, Johanna Luna. And Richard is, uh, well, he's a world-leading expert, I would say, in permaculture. I never met anyone in the field with so much hands-on experience-based knowledge as him. And uh, Ridgedale Farm is a super well-functioning, holistic, managed, regenerative farm. And in less than three years, they completely changed a conventional farm into a regenerative, functional one. Um, And it's continuously growing richer. And, um, you know, both of them, Richard and Johanna, are people who always made me feel a little bit ashamed for not being like a full-on farmer myself. Because they put in so much hard work like for the benefit of everyone. And so anyone interested in how to make small farms work, uh, I would suggest them to read Richard's book with the same name. Uh, or if you're in Sweden, you can support them by buying their amazing producer or attend one of their courses. So that's uh, a lot of inspiration coming from them. Fantastic. Also, I would like we'll to- get some, We'll get some uh, links up for, for your stuff and for them. Mm. And uh, and also something else? Well, I also want to mention a guy called Stephen Barstow. He's called the extreme salad man due to a salad he made with over 500 different flowers. Oh, uh, wow. And it's pretty cool. Uh, he lives in Norway, also in the north of Norway. He's originally from England. And um, he's been planting around, I don't know, 5,000 perennial edible and medicinal plants in his garden. And he also wrote an amazing book called uh, 80 Plans Around the World, which is one of my favorite because it's very personal, also experience-based and very unique and uh, has a lot of valuable information in it. So heads up for those two. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, Angelina, thank you so much for being on The Probiotic Life. Thanks for sharing your time and your wisdom with us. Well, thank you very much. It's been great fun talking with you. 
you can tell that Angelina lives with a sense of awe, a sense of inspiration about life. And I really had fun talking with her today. So thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you like this episode, feel free to share with us your feedback. And if you like any other episode, if you want to hear more of a particular subject, then reach out to us, connect with us. And thank you for making the probiotic life a part of your day. Don't forget to give us a rating and review. And may the beneficial micros be with you. Until next time, cheers. listening to The Probiotic Life. You can find us on Facebook at The Probiotic Life, on Instagram, The Probiotic Life, and on our website, theprobiotic.life. Angelina, thank you so much for being yeah. on the probiotic. <laughs> I can't even say the. Hang on, let's try that again. <laughs>